Just like that, the second hour is here on the Monday edition. Hot Mike with Honey Withrow across the Outkick Network. Glad you're with us. Chad, first hour flew by. Coming up a bit later in the show, Petros Papadakis joins us. Uh, college football analyst and radio host for Fox. Always brings it. Do it again with him uh, coming up in an, a little over an hour from right now. And uh, we'll certainly have more headlines and discussion across college and NFL where there are a lot of average teams in the NFL just like they want it. Yeah. And the same could be said for college football right now. A lot of average programs with some front, uh, some, some teams that are finally claiming the top spots, Washington among them, uh, and Georgia remains at the top, but they lose Brock Bowers over the weekend. Don't we want the same in college football as we won the NFL? That always fascinates me. I feel like the mindset's the a little do. different in that the college narrative seems to function better when there's this dominant force hanging over everyone that everyone's trying to knock off and not a ton of parity across college football with teams. It's almost like you want to see the big bad. And then in the NFL, it's, boy, let's those Cleveland Browns knocked off the 49ers and just goes to show you that parity is king in the, the NFL. And it's not necessarily what we always want in college football. Also, I think we're talking about possible national championship games. Michigan-Washington, to me, or Washington going around, that's great for college football. It's great. It's better than TCU. Their run was great, but TCU getting destroyed by Georgia in the national championship game, not necessarily great for the sport. You know who's great at uh, promotion? And the, the, the minor league baseball as we see it today. Well, uh, in a lot of ways, baseball. Hell, the, the Savannah MLB. Bananas. Yeah. What, what led to what we're seeing with the Savannah Bananas, uh, we can point back to Mike Veck, who joins us. The Saint of Second Chances uh, on Netflix, Chad, is something that uh, you have seen, and you've called it what, the best sports documentary that you've watched in the past year plus? Yeah, Mike, I turned this thing on. Mike Veck's with us right now. I turned this documentary on. I'm thinking, I'm going to give this a chance. I know, I know the Veck family name, a little bit of the story, and I start watching, and I'm 10 minutes into it, and, and I can't stop watching it. It was terrific. Thanks so much for joining us today. Thank you for having me. And let me tell you, the reason you couldn't turn the channel on it is because when you hang around with people like Jeff Momberg and, and, and Morgan Neville, they're, they're so competent at what they do that they can make a buffoon like me look actually serious about something. I don't know. Well, Mike, <laughs> you also get uh, the benefit of Jeff Daniels narrating this documentary. You get Charlie Day, who I love on It's Always Sunny in Philadelphia, playing you in the dramatized version of your life in the documentary. How did all of that come together? How were you approached by this? And how did all these parts come together to make this film? Well, Morgan and I have been friends for a long time. And um, I was a great admirer of all of those wonderful Masters series and PBS films he did about um, music. And so he called me about 15 years ago and said, I just heard you on an interview. I'd love to do something with you. And I'm like, okay, well, let's try to do something about the Saints. And uh, we kicked around and kicked around, stayed in touch, never came up with anything. And one day my son said to me, you know, Dad, I know you uh, uh, don't care much about the 100 years and the four generations, but it's important to me. And I think you should think about not so much each of our careers, but the fact that we've been doing the same thing for 100 years effectively or not effectively, depending on, on your point of view. And, and 
then once Morgan and I started to talk about that, including my grandfather and my dad and, of course, my son, we kind of had a, a narrative. And the rest, Charlie Day, they didn't say a word to me. They were like, we got a guy. I'm like, yeah, okay, we all got a guy. Never <laughs> told me. When they told me Jeff Daniels, I said, his voice is like the stitching. There's 108 stitches in a baseball. That's what Daniels did for this for this documentary. He just kind of knit everything neatly together. And uh, so it was alchemy as far as I'm concerned. They just, you know, <laughs> I went to therapy for two and a half years. It's, I'm never going back. It's, it, it is incredible because you talked about the way they weave it together with your firsthand accounts of everything, with the dramatized version of it, Charlie Day, with the narration of Jeff Daniels. And a big part of the early part of this film is your family background that you mentioned, the Vec family history, the over 100 years around the sport of baseball. I, I am curious, do you think it's something inherent in your DNA that brings out these crazy ideas that there are no bad ideas within each member of the family? Or is it a standard that you saw yourself trying to live up to with who your dad was and what he was responsible for with the game? You know, that's, that's really interesting. I appreciate that. It made me stop. And I, I, it's obviously, I grew up in a house with nine kids, you know, they liked so much baseball until the DH was introduced Mom left town then, but but we really, we you know, we had fun. We were joyous, and he never stressed money um, or, or titles or what you were going to do with your life. It, it really was to have fun, and I found that tremendously refreshing during the 60s when, you know, we thought everyone had to go to college and everyone had to do this, and, and so from that standpoint, you'd have been stupid not to not to by osmosis pick some things up but it's a craft uh and i think as much science as art and he worked very hard at it my grandfather worked very hard at it and so i think that someone in each of our generations just kind of hears the music and my, my son night train i think is going to be better than any of us thought of being and that's kind of an interesting thing for a father to say, but I have that much belief in his, in his talent. Plus, he has a little restraint, which I'm not certain I ever perfected. Mike Veck, our guest on Hot Mike with Hunt and Withrow across the Outkick Network. Where has the promotion game evolved the most, Mike, for baseball? I think the, the NFL has forced us out into the open. And, and, you know, NFL films ruled the roost for so long. But what we need to do is so simple. Um, and that is we have to make our heroes accessible. We have to be able to figure a way. When I was with the Tigers, it was Trammell's first year um, of managing. And, of course, I was working um, for my pal Dave Dombrowski. And we put a player at the end of the dugout after each game, win or lose, to sign autographs for kids. I think that's a great approach. I think we need a fan base, you know, 12 people elected from across the country, men and women who love the game, to advise the commissioner. I think we need, um, you know, I mean, the, the commissioner's office actually helped make this film. And 
<laughs> I never thought they'd get it done because they'd never get the right to use the marks. But they, but they could. But where, where people in NASCAR talk about my driver, my driver. But we don't have that kind of access to players. You know, all the great nicknames have gone because the agents are going, hey, you can't sign a million-dollar deal if they're calling you suitcase. Yeah. <laughs> so, you know, I, I think the fixes for us are, are, are easy. But the greatest changes come in the, in the video effects and the things that I think they've done a great job with that. It's just the humanity of the game is not, is not at the forefront where it should be. You know, you're, you're not averse to a great nickname. In fact, you're not averse to a great nickname as someone's actual name. You named your son Night Train. Night Train Vet. Was there ever any pushback from anyone in the family to making this move? Oh, <laughs> some, some of the people I love the most refused. They called him Will. I named him William Night Train Vet. William for my father to be sentimental. But I moved 17 times in the first 11 years of my life. And you of all people, the two of you, you guys know what it's like. If you're out on the sandlot, you're referred to as the new kid. And I decided that since my name was just Mike Vec, that's not very notable. So I was going to have a son who had a name that he'd get picked for any team on the strength of his name. And of course, it came from Dick Night Train Lane. You know, the clothesline, plus he married Dinah Washington. So I figured he had the best of both worlds going for him. And who are you going to pick? Henry to play right field or Night Train? <laughs> Let's so, face it. Night Train every single time. Every single Absolutely. time, twice on Sunday, I'm going with Night Train. Who's playing second base for you tonight? Night Train? <laughs> what you don't was, care if he can play. What was the, uh, what, you know, families will debate... Uh, couples will debate over like Robert or Richard. What was uh, what was number two on the list for you? Was there any debate? Well, the debate came down to what were we going to call it if it was a girl? Okay. And then we decided because of the fact that we'd been heavily influenced um, by by Native Americans, we lived. I was born in Tucson. We lived in the mountains of of New Mexico. So we thought we'd drop a T and call her Night Rain. Once again, two words. So I had cover, but you know they weren't they weren't buying any. My wife at the time was somewhat supportive. Also, what does somewhat supportive mean? On, on any girls' softball team, I'm taking Night Rain over yeah, yeah. Vanessa or whatever the, the <laughs> second place name was too. So you would have won with that one, also, Mike. Mike Vec, our guest here on Hot Mike. Was there ever, with the St. Paul Saints and all the wacky promotions and everything you were able to accomplish with that team, was there ever an idea you said no to? That you said, no, we can't do that. It's too far. It's too dumb. It's too whatever. Yeah, we, um, you know, I, I loused up the, um, the idea of having a, a pillow fight after a ball game, I did it in St. Paul. I did it after people had had a few libations and, you know, the 2000 or so who were left, um, it was kind of serious. And they, they were settling with their father-in-law or somebody in their family. They didn't like, there was a lousy idea. Um, we reintroduced it and did it during a game. During a game, we had a pillow fight in the third inning 
and we had 9,600 people. So I was opposed to doing it, but it worked great. Race the Mannequin was one gratefully and thankfully I only did it once. It was during my philosophical Sartre period. I, I thought there was something existential about it. It was just stupid is what it was. So. I don't know. I haven't I haven't really edited a lot of them out to my embarrassment. You know, I, I'm sure for years and years, you know, people would hear your name and they would remember Disco Demolition Night. I watch this film, though, and I see everything else you were a part of. And I think people who watch it will know you were a part of a lot more than that. Have you seen that change over the years where you're not just known for that one promotion and that one night and you're known for so much more because of what you've been a part of? Yeah, I think, you know, history is forgiving. And I, I think that after a while, um, some of the other things are more important. I, I You know, Isla, Isla Borders was the first woman to pitch in an all-male league. Um, it wasn't a league of their own. She pitched against against men. And I think now that's that's very important and very timely. And And, you know, the first blind announcer was was simply to demonstrate what people can do. So I, I think that that people have been very kind over the years because I think we realize that it's a game. You know, these are our games as much as we care. I mean, my Browns, how that happened yesterday, <laughs> I don't know, but I don't want to know. I, I really don't. I don't want to know how it happened. It's magical. And, and But they are our games, and I think sometimes we get carried away. What's going on in the world right now is really serious. Whether or not, you know, my beloved White Sox make a couple of trades in the offseason isn't right up there with world peace. So <laughs> we have to remember it's fun. Yeah. Where does the Daryl Strawberry, the resuscitation of his career – uh, with your St. Paul Saints, where does that rank on your list of accomplishments as being involved in, with being involved in baseball? He came, he walked away from a $20 million contract. He couldn't get a gig anywhere. And I was concerned because we had worked so hard to get this, this family PG rating. And my wife Libby just ripped me a new one and said, you know, you got to, <laughs> after all the chances you got, you have to extend it. So in 96, he comes, hits 18 home runs in 29 games. His contract is sold to the Yankees. He hit three home runs in Columbus over, over two games. And then he hits 11 with the world champion 96 Yankees. What he did in St. Paul was he discovered that he really loved the game. And that the fans were an integral part of the game. And after about two weeks there, he came into me and he, he, he said, Mike, um, he said, why is Dave Stevens, a guy who has no legs, so happy? And I said, Daryl, I just think you're unhappy. And I think you have to look at this from the standpoint of people who love you. This is a huge talent that you have. And it's a gift. And it's gone so quickly. And so I think that moment, he realized, as he said, we're not all so important, but helping one another is. And that, I'm proud of that because not of, of what happened. We didn't need him to sell tickets, but he rediscovered his love of the game. And I think that's what we tend to forget. 
and what we need to be reminded, how much we need the fans and how much we need to love what we do. And I think that is what happened with Daryl. And the fans made that happen. Mike they Vec forgave him. Has been our guest. Uh, it's a great visit, Mike. Uh, we're thrilled that you uh, were, were willing to join us. And uh, hopefully we can do this down the road. Thanks. I look forward to it. What happened with my Browns? Come on, baby. Amazing. Let's get it done. Congrats to your Browns for sure. And everyone watch the documentary. Yes. The Saint of Second Chances on Netflix. I, I highly recommend. Thanks so much, Mike. Yeah, thank you, Mike. Thanks for having me. Mike, Good one. Mike Vec. Uh, I had massive Browns fan to the list of oh. many things on the bio for him. Coming up, headlines including Aaron Rodgers and there's an expert saying he could return in two months. That's next. Sixth and Peabody, our location. Yeehaw Beer, Old Smoky Moonshine. Hot Mike with Hunter Withrow across the Outkick Network. You can join uh, us on YouTube. Search out Outkick. Hit the subscribe button. Hammer the like button as well. Give us a thumbs up if you're enjoying the program. And uh, as always, you can find all of the great shows uh, right here on demand or live. Uh, we're live 3 to 6 p.m. Eastern daily. Uh, and thanks for listening to this great radio partner as well. Chad. There is um, a headline today, and we'll give the details in a moment, but Aaron Rodgers is seen tossing the football around pregame as yes. the, the yes, Jets win over Philadelphia. Well, there are further details and follow-ups on that as we hit our top headlines of the day with uh, Scorched Earth across uh, the Outkick Network with Hot Mike. Aaron Rodgers, he's on the headset right now. I think it's important to note he's seen tossing the football because a lot of times teams want their stars who are hurt nowhere near the field. Between the lines during warm-ups, nothing. Not even close. Rodgers is going to do whatever he wants to do. He's on crutches on the sideline in some cases. We've seen him out there. But I, I think it's important to note that as you see headlines right now that say he could be back as early as week 15. <laughs> Week 15, not the playoffs, week 15. Week 15 is December 17th for New York as they take on Miami. It's exactly two months from tomorrow. And with the Jets now at 3-3, three and three, it is not out of the question to ponder where they could be two months from now with that defense. Injuries, the, the war of attrition health-wise is always playing a factor on any team. But health-wise for Rodgers, if he's able to come back that fast, one month removed from surgery on the Achilles, he's tossing the football around without crutches. And the day after, you have medical experts that are saying, well, he could be back as early as December, 5th, uh, December 17th against Miami in Week 15. What do you make of that? It's, it's crazy, and it, I keep hearkening back to something he told Pat McAfee when right okay. after the surgery, when he joined him, where he said, you know, just because people want to laugh about it, but he said, just because something hasn't happened before doesn't make it impossible. And then I see this projection about week 15. I think, well, maybe, maybe Aaron Rodgers is onto something. So the uh, medical expert for CBS, uh, Marty Jeremillo, says he's absolutely ahead of schedule. Quote, he's moving almost three times as fast as traditional protocols. No boot, no crutches, minimal limp. 
it's quite exponential. There's no precedent for this type of recovery following an Achilles tear. He's beating back father time. And, and, and it goes on to go through, like, if he's this ahead of schedule based on what he's seen here, where he could be two months from now. Look, could, he, could the, the Jets theoretically go around 500 during this stretch? All right, let's just, let's just use that date. Sure. That the doctor's throwing out there as a possibility. They get a bye this upcoming week. They go to the Giants, Chargers at home, at the Raiders, at the Bills, tough. Dolphins at home, tough. Falcons at home, Texans at home. Could this team with that defense hover around 500 yes, during that stretch and give absolutely. them a chance? For sure. Absolutely. That is not just murderer's row of a schedule leading up to that. So if, in fact, he was back by December 17th, at the Dolphins, Commanders at home, at the Browns, at the Patriots. Uh, I'm seeing that and thinking a three and one is probably what you'd kind of expect if Aaron Rodgers is back with the Jets to end the season. Maybe, uh, maybe Aaron Rodgers is right, line. and this thing isn't as dire as, as everyone expected. But you know what this news also does? It's no different than him behind the scenes and then publicly saying, hey, stop talking crap about Wilson. Uh, stop pointing fingers on what, what's happening with me not there. I'm coming back. Let's stay focused. Like we Stay with the unit that we were in the offseason. This also allows the entire team to do that. Even if, if they are blown out in the situation, Rodgers is coming back. You keep thinking about the return and what could be if you just get to a certain point. A lot of that's out of the control. Robert Sala's done a nice job, though, in the, me- in the meantime, keeping things together, and Rodgers is helping him. That's the other key with, with all of this. And the optics are shouting that this is going in the right direction because, again, no crutches, and the doc mentioned on there, no limp, minimal limp. That's also very intriguing. Chad, uh, late, late night on Friday, Colorado loses a 29-point lead to Stanford. One win, Stanford. And you check the score, and you're like, well, this is Colorado about to be bowl eligible, getting their, you know. In their fifth win. Get a fifth win in a, a game they should have, and they're, they're handling them. And then the second half happens. And... Deion Sanders postgame says, we are not built for the moment. They're not. I like how, you know, just obvious and clearly stated he can be after a tough loss, after a blowout loss, uh, and, and after an upset. And this was certainly an upset. I wonder, though, where this team responds moving forward, given the fact that they do have certain spots, namely, I think it's the offensive line, where they're just not at a certain level to go in and easily say, yeah, there's two more wins on the schedule. We went through it earlier. Dion, though, I think has a good read on the stars of his team, and the stars are good enough to keep everything on track. They're getting big leads. They're just not holding them. Yeah, Shador Sanders is a terrible pick in the second overtime, too, that ended up giving Stanford the ball back and where they could win the game. Says, so just a dumb play. I just threw it up, Sanders said postgame. Uh, interesting to watch Deion Sanders postgame after losses. I think he's handled it mostly well, especially after the Oregon loss. This one was no different, and everything, every question he's asking, everything he's saying is exactly what any coach would be asking or saying after uh, what's truly a debilitating loss. I mean, 29 nothing against a bad team, that game should be over. 
even if they get a little bit hot in the second half, you got to be able to shut the door and find a way to win a close one at worst. But losing to this Stanford team, really, really bad for Colorado. And what was seemingly a foregone conclusion, which was bowl eligibility this season, now looks pretty daunting with the remaining schedule left after a home loss to Stanford. USC, boat raced by Notre Dame, and what does that loss mean for the Pac-12 and and how we view the Pac-12, given the fact that Caleb Williams, the reigning Heisman Trophy winner, trying to go back-to-back, goes on the road and from the jump in the matchup in Vegas against Notre Dame into last week, Irish are the favorite, coming in with two losses, losing to Louisville, and you're facing Caleb Williams and... Vegas knew. Vegas knew what Notre Dame was capable of. We, we touched on it, too. It's a hard game to pick one way or the other because you had a feeling just based on the circumstance, uh, the, the spotlight game being in South Bend and knowing the possible weather conditions. It was all going to play a factor. Not to this extent, though. Not to the blowout extent to where now you look around and go, okay, top half of the Pac-12 as they start to play each other, I think the, the ruling would be, well, they ate their own, right? They, they're really good on the top half of the, of the conference and very even. It's a good league. But what if you see some head-to-head matchups like we saw on Saturday and things go the way that it went for USC? Then the perception switches and maybe you don't get the opportunity to get one or two teams in based on what happens in the other conferences. I think it does change the, the perception. I don't think it does. Um, to your scenario, or if the scenario plays out where USC just goes and boat races the rest of the conference and their one loss is to Notre Dame, who had two losses going into that, then maybe it changes my perception. I don't see that being the case. USC, I don't think is – they're going to lose two more games. Yeah, well, no, no, I'm not even USC. I'm just saying the head-to-head matchups, as you look at you know Oregon or Washington, if you're trying to make the case – what would be a great win yeah. is how do you view the, the matchup for them against USC, given what we saw, where it's just not, you know. It, yeah, it, it just doesn't change my perception of the league. You know, if we're looking at does it change your perception of the Pac-12, no, because I wasn't really thinking USC was the – I guess it's about what you thought going into the game. I didn't think USC looked like the best team in the conference going in. I thought they are going to be a tough challenge for anyone at the top of the conference, no doubt, because of Caleb Williams. But they had not been that good. And they showed themselves to not look very good against Notre Dame. So I don't think this is their lone blemish on the season. They're going to lose one or two more games. What I saw between Washington and Oregon, what I've seen at most of the year from Utah, teams that are on the rise like Oregon State and Washington State, Chip Kelly's got a defense, everybody, at UCLA. That's the strength of the conference. USC with Caleb Williams, the defending Heisman Trophy. Yeah, that's the, that's the Hollywood marquee coming into it. But this doesn't change my view of the Pac-12 being the best conference in football one bit. This one loss at, at Notre Dame. Now, if we look back in December and I see USC wins the conference easily because they just go on to destroy everyone else in the Pac-12, well then, yeah. I'll look back and say, boy, the team that won the Pac-12 – had a blowout loss at, at Notre Dame. But I don't see that being the case. Or, so, it, it's I still also, think it's the best conference in football. If you lose to USC now, though, it does. It's a, it's a loss that sticks out. Uh, instead of just a close loss where you can still make a case for a resume, whether yeah. that's a, a New Year's Day opportunity 
uh, college football playoff of the four, whatever it might be. Uh, and it is certainly, in thinking about the magnitude, Chad, of, of some of the losses we've seen, the 12-team playoff and the move to that format changes the magnitude of some of these games. Penn State, Ohio State this weekend, that the perception of that matchup changes with a 12-team playoff instead of the four. The, 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 the magnitude. And uh, certainly the case with Washington, Oregon. Uh, or USC, Notre Dame, for that matter. Uh, for both programs. I... That, that's the one thing that I think we'll look back on and be like, man, I, I, it's missing that extra little uh, spotlight, the glimmer, the shine uh, of the, the nervous pit in your stomach as, as the, the, the game kicks off or you're at half and you're down by three, final drive of this. You can still make the case for the teams we're discussing now on, on resume builders or two loss Notre Dame. Uh, in, in this case, USC and the way they lost, I think does affect how things could shape up if you're trying to make the argument for five versus four whenever it's all said and yeah, done. Yeah, and I think it would be the argument for two Pac-12 teams in That's right. to the four because, I mean, I, the, a one-loss Pac-12 champion's in. Then yep. the question could become, right. is a one-loss, if that one loss is to USC, team that doesn't play for the Pac-12 championship or whatever it may be, can they get a second team in with one loss? That That could be a question mark, but... I still look at this conference top to bottom and the strength at one through six or seven in the league. I think it's the best league in college football this season. The Rangers, they get game one of the ALCS so over Houston. The, the hot hand continues, although in the eighth, I did think uh, the Astros are going away with a, a blast of left field. Caught right at the, at the warning track where, I don't know, it was an awkward Left-handed cat. You've got the at the wall where I don't know if the, the guy thought, the left fielder thought it was going to go against the wall if he's about to hit it, but it was a, like a half leap, half jump. It still ends up making the catch and what was uh, maybe some Texas fans a, a bit nervous there over their, their rival in Houston. And then Altuve uh, misses the, the second base on trying to tag back up to get to first, inning over. I know Davey's very excited about the Rangers because of their love of Creed music that they play to get themselves pumped up for this run. Um, I'm for the Rangers because well I, well of the teams left, they have not been this far since 2011 where they had a brutal loss to the Cardinals in that series. They had it all but wrapped up. So um, I'm all for the Rangers in this series. The Battle of Texas in Major League Baseball you don't normally think about. How deep do you think the playlist goes for the Rangers with the Creed mixtape? I think it goes higher. And then higher again, (laughs) and then higher a third time, and then with arms wide open, and then higher again for what is that, five times? I think that's the playlist. I think it's a lot of higher and a little bit of with arms wide open mixed in. That's the only way to enjoy Creed or Uh, on a cruise. You could add My Sacrifice. Now that's that's another one. I had it for later in the show, but since you guys mentioned it, I mean, Kirk Cousins – the Vikings adopted the Creed oh. playing higher before their game, and now, he credited Kirk, that to Kirk them. Cousins bringing that playlist doesn't surprise me. Kirk Cousins sings Creed at the top of his lungs while driving that minivan around is what I expect Kirk Cousins to be doing. The, I just like that he got the rest of the team into it. Well, I mean, I would also add one last breath to the uh, playlist, but, I mean, if you just rotate between those four songs, you got banger after banger after banger. You're set. Kirk Cousins getting his Vikings, younger Vikings teammates to embrace Creed 
is the same thing as me trying to play Pearl Jam in the car with my young kids. Well, the next time, it's probably about the same response too. Can we please listen to anything else? The goal is to get the win, and the Rangers are doing it, and Kirk's attributing that for the Vikings win. So I guess if it ain't broke, don't fix it. Well, they need to get Creed out to a game at some point. Like this, this should be something. On a cruise, singing the national anthem or something for a Rangers game. We got to embrace this thing. For the full cruise, on. Yeah. I don't. If the don't. Chiefs are going to embrace Travis Swift, the <laughs> Rangers should embrace Creed. It's really that simple, guys. Coming End of up, discussion. That's my quarterback. The worst injury for a team based on the position. That's next. Sixth and Peabody, our location. Yeah, beer, old smoky moonshine. Hot mic with Hunting Withrow across the Outkick Network. Chad, a hey, huge thanks to Old Smoky and Yeehaw. Yeah, we um, did something with them earlier today. In we did. Fact. We Pet- did. Petros Papadakis. You'll uh, see it a little bit. You'll see it a little bit later. Minutes, that's if, right. you, if you're watching and see something a little bit different, you'll know exactly what we're talking about. Love the partnership with them, though. They've been great hosts to us. And um, it's, you know, nice to have a bar right outside of your studio. Not many can claim not, that. It does not suck. We can claim that here at Hot Mike. Chad, uh, Anthony Richardson, of course, with the Colts, considering season-ending surgery. That, according to Ian Rappaport, uh, he's got a, a damaged AC joint for his shoulder, and he's seeked and has talked with multiple experts and multiple opinions on this. And they have to decide as an organization and uh, for his career if uh, just recovery time if surgery is the best option it would be season ending and that is a huge step back for what was set up to be a promising rookie season for him through the first month of the year and despite and I'm saying that despite the fact that he was barely finishing games from the start of the year where he's getting banged up uh, Gardner Minshew goes on the road yesterday as the quarterback of the Colts. They lose 37-20, to 20, I believe the final score was, to Jacksonville back on the road. Minshew was awful. And uh, Jacksonville picks up a, a, a nice win yet again. Uh, the clear leader in the AFC South now at 4-2 and two on the year. And they do it after winning back-to-back games in London and then choose not to have the bye as they return from London and still win over Indy. It's amazing how it feels like now annually. It's uh, Jacksonville just goes to London to get right and comes back. It's like going into a cryogenic chamber for them. They get healthy. They get younger. They come back, and uh, everything's fine. They look good yesterday. Gardner Minshew, no Minshew mania, and his return back to Jacksonville. And bummer about Anthony Richardson because it's not just a lost year. If they, in fact, do this surgery, it's a, hey, your rookie that you – drafted and you're going to run with him on design run plays got hurt on a design run play yep. which i think kind of changes the out it's not just some pocket injury it, it was just a routine kind of designed tackle too. run he gets tackled body lands on top of him you see it a lot right shoulder injury hitting the ground terrible ryan Tannehill, speaking of AFC south he's on the mend another ankle issue for him uh that suffered yesterday in london at tottenham uh, Mike Vrabel saying earlier today that it seems to be the same issue that he suffered with the ankle last year. Uh, they'll seek multiple opinions over the bye week now and see where they head uh, as far as backups are, where Malik Willis came in for him in the fourth quarter yesterday. Uh, and, of course, Will Levis. We 
yet to see him uh, as a, a, a active member of this Titans roster. He's the third string, could be the backup or the potential starter as they will host Atlanta in two weeks. Uh, a lot of quarterback discussion on the injury front, and that's where we start with that's my quarterback. It's my quarterback. All right, guys, the injury concerns are out there. And really, if we look at it from this week, this past weekend, six teams could be without their starting quarterback in their next game. Uh, you guys just talked about Ryan Tannehill, what was said there. We discussed earlier Jimmy Garoppolo and his back situation in Vegas. Justin Fields, a dislocated thumb. It looks as though he will be missing a game in Chicago just simply due to grip strength. They're mm-hmm. going to continue to monitor that situation. But uh, doubtful is the word that is being thrown around there. Trevor Lawrence, also doubtful. you got to remember, they have a Thursday night game against the Saints this upcoming week. And so his knee, quote, sprain is something to where C.J. Beathard might actually be the guy getting the nod for the Jaguars. And Baker Mayfield, while I don't think that one's a, a serious situation, he did hurt his non-throwing hand, definitely the least serious compared to all these others. And then you mentioned finding out, even though it happened a couple weeks ago, Anthony Richardson, we don't know if he's going to undergo the season-ending surgery. But guys, which of these injuries is the biggest impact on a team's success moving forward? And I'm not trying to project, you know, how long the injury is going to last or or any of that. So I'm not playing doctor here. I'm just going with this quarterback. If they're out, this is the biggest blow to this team. Yes. And I'm putting in two different factors. One, how good is the team? Because you got to be good and capable of something Mm -hmm. to be truly impactful. So Bears get out. They're not going anywhere regardless. So it's not Justin Fields. Um, Of the other teams that are left, I think when you combine who's behind them, with their potential right now, the biggest blow would be Trevor Lawrence down for Jacksonville. C.J. Beathard's an extreme drop-off from Trevor Lawrence. For the Jags, a team that seems to be figuring things out that to me looks like the best team in the AFC South, which is where everyone projected them to be before the season started. So I'm going to go Trevor Lawrence in Jacksonville. That is going to be a huge loss if he has to miss any time for that team. Yeah, I agree with you. Uh, That's just not factoring in timetable at all. Yeah. Um, to me, if we are factoring that in, because it's Trevor Lawrence is the answer. If we flip it, though, I think the answer is Jimmy Garoppolo. And here's why. Right now, I think Jacksonville is, is winning the AFC South. Houston's there. They're playing very well. Jacksonville's winning the AFC South with Lawrence. Doesn't seem to be long-term. The back issue took Jimmy G to the hospital. Transported to the hospital. They ran a lot of tests. It sounds like, according to Josh McDaniels, he says they dodged a bullet. It's not as serious as what they may have expected or were hoping for the opposite outcome. And it sounds like they've they've got that here. Uh, but this is a guy that when he's on the field, he wins at 70% of the time as a starter, starting quarterback. It's not always because of him, but the dude wins games. And the Raiders are sitting at 3-3. Three and three. And they have the same record as the Bengals, uh, the same 500 record as the Chargers right now, and sitting in a division where they've got a stretch coming up against, of course, the Chargers and the, the Chiefs. So to, I would want the quarterback that's known for winning games. And it's just the timetable aspect of this is the guy that routinely is on the injury front and on the injury report. Lawrence isn't known for that. Lawrence is the answer if we're just looking at the short term, not the long term. Uh, outside of Lawrence, where would you or say the, the long term? Excuse yeah, me. Where would you say the biggest gap is between the starter and the backup? 
Outside of Lawrence? Outside of Trevor, yeah. Uh, probably. Tannehill? Well, well, I, it's just, I would say it's probably, but we don't know about Will Levis, but Tannehill to Malik Willis would be my, my if, vote. If you're a Titans fan, obviously you don't want to see your starting quarterback get hurt, but if you're considering, well, it's a high, or it's a busy draft class when looking at the quarterback position, I know you just spent a second round pick on Will Levis, but this gives him an opportunity to get out there and prove if he's got the capabilities to be a starting quarterback at this level. Is that something you can potentially take away from this? I mean, yes, they have to play Will Levis at some point. If Tannehill's on the shelf for the rest of the year, Malik Willis is not the answer. It's why they drafted Will Levis. I don't know why Malik Willis continues to be the backup. So, yeah, they've got to play him and at least see what they got. Now, on the flip side of that, if they're going to take this snapshot, if they truly believed in Will Levis with this offensive line, if they're going to take him and put him in this right. situation and then determine, ah, he's not the guy. Let's discard him also and draft a third quarterback in three years in the first round. That's another issue for this franchise that could put him back even further. But he needs to play. Yeah, and I think at minimum he needs to be elevated to the backup to Tannehill. Doesn't, but just based on the vibe here, it doesn't sound like Tannehill's going to be available in two weeks. And I wonder, last year Tannehill fought through that pain in the ankle, taped it up, and tried to play through it, and then got hurt even worse and ended up having this same surgery that Brock Bowers is about to have on the ankle, trying to speed up the recovery process of a high ankle sprain. And he, he waited to do it, though. I, I wonder, just based on the outlook of the team, knowing that it's his final year and he's going to be elsewhere a year from now, does he ought to have the surgery sooner rather than later compared to last year where he knew he could be a part of the long-term plan or, or be a part of a team that was potentially going to address some significant issues in the offseason. And he knows he's not back now. It's, it, this is where the business crossroads meets with the leader and the, 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 the mindset of the player where you want to be out there with your team. Tannehill's already proven he'll, he wants to do that. He did that last year. But I wonder if it's just a different scenario for him now. And if that's the case, Chad, at minimum, Levis needs to be the backup to Tannehill. And if he's not starting over Willis, he needs to play because it's, it's not good. It's not a good scenario either way. By the way, David, the answer to your question, worst backup scenario, I would have to point to Tyson Bajent. It's Bajent. Bajent. Uh, Division II Shepherd University <laughs> is the backup to Justin Fields in Chicago. He's, he came in yesterday whenever Fields went down with that, that hand issue, the thumb. He's the all-time leading passer in college football history at Shepherd University. His father is, is, a, is an arm wrestling legend. Hmm. I remember this from a, a, a preseason game. Talking about this, his dad holds some sort of arm wrestling record also. Anyway, I, I don't think that helps him, though. And he's playing for the Bears, which is not going to help him either. Nope. Yeah, they were already on track to get the number one pick with Justin Fields. This isn't going to probably deter them away from continuing down that path. But, guys, just speaking simply on performance for our next topic, which quarterback wants to do over from Sunday? It's Jalen Hurts. Mm -hmm. He lost yep. the game throwing off his back foot to no one and gave the Jets the ball in prime scoring position uh, he doesn't do that. I really believe if they just run, 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 work clock, punt, I don't think Zach Wilson's leading them down the field for the win. So he lost the game with that bad decision. So I think it's Jalen Hurts. Uh, and it's it, a one-play duo, it, it by may the way. Be Hurts, it may be his worst game 
for his NFL career. I mean, it was really bad. Some of the interceptions are tip passes or just great plays by the defense. But down the stretch, it, that's on Jalen Hurts. It, another possible answer could be Brock Purdy. I think if he could redo it, he's wearing a glove. Maybe he goes with the double glove uh, because of the rain and the, the, the weather conditions against that Browns defense where he's never lost a game as a start of the regular season. And he has an offense that puts up double the amount of points that San Francisco was able to tally, even though they had the fourth quarter lead 17-6. And then Geno Smith, who just against the, the, the Bengals had a late lead and then turned it over and gave it up to Cincinnati. And the Bengals end up getting a big win at home and a low-scoring performance uh, for that game. And I was expecting more than 13 points for Seattle on the road. Uh, both solid answers there, guys. I would also probably throw Baker Mayfield into that equation. He had a really, really rough outing against the Lions, but hey, the Lions look good. And Detroit's defense continues. Have they allowed more than 20 points all year? I'm not sure. They have, but maybe four of the six games. They're biting kneecaps. They're they get after it, man. But if one play could be done, re, or there could be a redo, I would think that would go to Tyrod Taylor and the Giants right before the end of the first half, checking out of oh. a pass option and running the ball with Saquon to where they get zero points, and had they just been able to settle for a field goal there, they're late in the fourth, they're able to have a field goal attempt to just go up one, 15 to 14, and get the win. Uh, he's got to be kicking himself for that. But then, guys, finally, uh, to quote Shaq, I owe you an apology. I wasn't really familiar with, their, with your game. Yeah, um, I'm going to go C.J. Stroud. Not that I didn't like C.J. Stroud coming into the, the draft or into this, you know, with the Texans. I, I am surprised at his level of proficiency with what looks like a bad rebuilding roster. So C.J. Stroud's been a huge surprise to me. I, I owe him an apology because I didn't think I'd be talking about him as the clear-cut best rookie quarterback so far, performance-wise, and that's what he is. The most consecutive passes without an interception in NFL history, C.J. Stroud. They ended, but he, he ends it with the lead in that category, 191 consecutive. Uh, but he, he had another solid game uh, as the, the starter for Houston. You're right, Chad. Uh, the other one for me, just in, in overall, is probably Joshua Dobbs. Yeah. Um, That's a good they, one. They were running the football really well. He didn't start an NFL game until last season in December. And he ends up holding things together to where Arizona appears competitive, believe it or not. Now, the results are not there on the win-loss column. But Dobbs is more than just a third-string guy, and that's all he had been until then. And the just perception of him was he's a fringe guy between the practice squad and a team that wants to keep three on the active roster. It's probably Dobbs on the, hey, sorry for thinking that you were at best some practice squad guy making 100000 Maybe I'm overshooting the question there a bit. It's good. Davey, you're the man. Nice sunglasses. Keep Appreciate those sunglasses you. on. Don't We've ever take them off. Plenty of headlines Ever. coming up, including the NFL trying to stage the Super Bowl in London. What are they thinking? <laughs>